Hello and welcome again to another episode of Five Playing Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Angela Two Stars. She received her BFA in drawing from Kendall College of Art and Design in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She's a Dakota from the Sisseton Wapiton Oyate on the Lake Travers Reservation in Sisseton, South Dakota. She currently lives in St. Paul, Minnesota, and is the first Indigenous artist to install work at the Minneapolis Sculpture Garden, and this is in conjunction with the Walker Art Center. Her work will be an interactive space where you can move through the space and see and hear Dakota words in its native place. This work will be open to the public on October 9th, 2021. I encourage you to make a trip to this location and see this amazing piece. Who knows, you may even see me there as well. Well, let's jump into this interview with Angela. Angela, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. It's really great having you here. Thank you for having me. Uh, so if you could introduce yourself, uh, tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, that'd be great. Um, well, I can try doing my Dakota, my introduction in Dakota. That's something that I'm trying to practice. It's funny, like if you don't use it daily, you start to forget. So, uh, Dakota Ia. Um, I'm totally spacing on my, my Dakota intro. How bad is that? My goodness. You're doing... It's- you're 20 times better than I can do uh, it. So, <laughs> I, you know, I, I got to tell you, it's something that I find about like trying to learn the language is that um, sometimes I just get lost when I'm trying to speak it. And, you know, I, I blame I blame it on that, that uh, historical trauma. And sometimes I just sometimes I don't hear words in Dakota when somebody's speaking it to me and. Um, but I keep trying. I keep trying. Was it <laughs> was it um, in your house growing up? No language. No. No, it was not. Both of my grandmas were uh, victims of boarding school, and so they didn't share it. Um, I only heard extremely minimal, and then you know a little bit of what you get in preschool. You know, and it wasn't mm-hmm. until 2015 that I started to reconnect with the language it was the something kind of similar for me growing up um Mm -hmm. you know my dad uh spoke the language um it was his first language Mm -hmm. um and people would come over to the house and they would sit around the table and they would talk in dakota Mm -hmm. and they would laugh and they would just be involved and whenever he took a phone call it was always in dakota and I think up until age five, um, he had given me a little bit of the language, but then never shared it with me. And mm-hmm. just in recent years, I had asked, because I, I don't speak the language, 
um, why, uh, you know, I have a first language speaker in the house and my mother was a Dakota language teacher. Why don't I speak the language? And uh, it was, it was uh, articulated that it was because he went to Taika Witha to the boarding school or the orphanage mm-hmm. um, and the treatment there uh, that he was hesitant to teach his children the language because of the abuses he had received for right. speaking the language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, so. It was pretty devastating. But I have hope on the way our generation and my children's generation feel about the language that it's going to survive and thrive. <laughs> it's exciting when I go out to different places and I see young people speaking the language mm-hmm. confidently and very mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, so you are, you are from South Dakota. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I, I totally just like stumbled on my Dakota en- intro and didn't get any <laughs> further on my background. Yeah. I, I was uh, born and raised on the Lake Traverse Reservation. Uh, grew up at Sisseton, attended the public school. Um, and then I left the reservation for goodness of about 10, 15 years or something, you know, went to college, um, got my BFA in, in drawing um, from Kendall College of Art and Design in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, and then in 2015, I moved back to the reservation and kind of got reacquainted or, or became aware of like the, the issues with our language and kind of the status of the Dakota language. And at the time, I was kind of seeking my identity as an artist, like what, what was my platform? What did I want to focus my art, you know? Um, and I saw that, uh, kind of our, our status with the language. And at the time we had less than 70 fluent speakers. And so I thought, well, that's what I want to do. I want to use my voice as an artist to share the language and help, um, how I can. So that's what I, that's what I've been doing. So who are and who have been your biggest influences? I think that my children have been big influences in the work that I do, especially around uh, my work with Dakota language. Um, I, I consider youth being the fu- future of our language. And so I like to create artwork that people can participate in and also that children can and find enjoyment in um you know how art is it's like don't touch don't touch the artwork but with my art i want people to be able to get in it and like you know actively engage in it because i see it as part of trying to learn a language it takes active participation so i want people to participate in my artwork um influences i think diani whitehawk is a huge influence to me she's like my big sister girl crush <laughs> Um, I met her, uh, on the reservation. Um, she had come into town, uh, doing a presentation, I believe it was the first people's fund or something like that. And it was just really, really significant meeting for me because here I saw this native woman, uh, doing contemporary art, um, like what I was doing, um, and was making a career out of it. And that was like, I think right from that point, it was like, I need to go back and finish my degree and really make a go at this life as an artist, you know, because it is possible. So, but yeah, I mean, I think like, 
I really take inspiration from everybody around me, like all my artist friends and um, just people I, I meet. Um, I don't know if I have any particular artists that besides Diani and um, yeah, I just get inspired by, by uh, native artists. I'm really excited by the work that, that everybody is doing um, and how we all exist together, you know, like successfully. And I'm just like a big cheerleader for, for especially with my role, like all my relations, like I just really, um, I'm like a, a fangirl of native artists. So that's what's really great about being able to be in the role that I am because I could just like uplift and celebrate these native artists that I'm so inspired by. And I almost, I'm almost kind of like celebrity type engagement with them or like Nicholas Galan was in the gallery, you know, <laughs> it's really like, Oh God, I just got off the phone with Luzine Hill. You know, I get really like a, a starstruck. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're in the St. Paul area. Uh, before we go any further, uh, can we talk a little bit about your installation piece at the Walker? And maybe a little backstory on that piece there. Yeah. Well, it's going to be opening on October 8th for the Native community. And it will open October 9th for the general public. Um, it was really important to me that there would be a first initial uh, invitation that was just for the Native community because some people... Um, might be their first time back to the Walker um, since kind of the scandal in 2017. Um, the artwork itself is inspired by my grandfather, Orson Bernard. Um, he was a fluent speaker that worked in our language program. And when he passed away in 2018, I uh, thought about the legacy that he had left behind and how it was almost like a double loss. Like when you, when we lose a speaker, we're not just losing that person as an individual. We're also losing all of their knowledge that they shared and can never access that again, you know? So it's so vital um, to be able to engage with them while they're still with us. Um, so I thought about his legacy and how it reminded me of how one drop of water can ripple across an entire pond one speaker's work in the language revitalization movement can ripple across generations of speakers. And so that became my visual of creating a ripple effect um, in, in a sculptural seating. Um, and it also represented a journey um, where people could navigate the space. And it was a way to invite people to I guess, come to terms with where they were at in their language journey, because I know some people will share like, oh, I remember, you know, counting to 10, like, and some animals. That's what I learned in preschool. And that's where they are. And that's where they stay. Uh, so they're kind of on the outside perimeter. And it takes some work and effort to go further into that journey. And in doing so, you come across um, trauma and shame and, you know, these things that we have to kind of push through um, because of that history of our language and the uh, pain that caused our parents, grandparents, um, and that trauma still exists in us. So it's like pushing through that. And I wanted people to know 
I'm going through that. And so if I, if that's happening to me, something that might ha be happening to other people and, and it's okay, like to just keep on pushing and keep on making that effort to get into the center and, you know, become a speaker. Um, and that not every journey is from point A to point B. Sometimes it's, in my case, like a caterpillar inching along, but <laughs> keep on trying. And, um, and I, yeah, it's like believing in yourself, I think is a big part of, of um, where people are at in their, in their language journey. So that is how that piece came to be. Yeah. So that brings us into the, this next question um, is how have you developed your career? both uh, going to college and post-college? Well, I think I've always been an artist. Um, I remember like my first memory of, of art was in first grade when I did the drawing that my teacher ended up hanging like by the door. So when everybody lined up, um, they would have to see my drawing. And I kind of refer to it as like, that was the first time I was ever exhibited. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I liked that. Um, you know, art has always been a part of my life and it wasn't something that I knew I could make a career out of. And after I graduated and um, I went into work full time and I decided to go back to college and, you know, I, I figured, well, if I'm going to be spending the time and money um, on my education, I better be putting that effort into something that I enjoy, which was art. But even like my colleagues um, from work kind of turned their nose up at me like, you're, you're going to art school, you know, uh, what are mm -hmm. you going to do with that? And so at the time I was like, well, it's okay. I'm going into art education, you know, because <laughs> like that equals a job, you know. Um, and so I started school and um, I think I took um, drawing materials and processes class and I just really got uh, interested in, in the conceptual part of art making and translating my ideas and feelings, you know, into, into drawings. And, um, I, I remember my college instructors were pushing me to, um, do work around my identity as a native American. I got a lot of attention because my last name was two stars and, you know, I, I, I didn't go to IAIA, you know, I went to a, at a university. Um, and so they were kind of pushing me into that, like, you should be doing something with that. And at the time I wasn't ready. Um, and I left school for a period of time and, you know, got married and started a family. And after a few years, I wanted to go back and finish my, my degree. And that was when I had been on the reservation and kind of got connected with the language movement and wanted to, put my energies and focus into that as an artist. And so when I went back to school and completed my degree, um, my whole thesis was on language and also my identity and everything, every assignment I got was, how can I look at this from my, a native lens? Um, and how can I open up people's um, perceptions or knowledge around Native Americans and Native issues? And because this might be the only time any of these classmates are ever going to be this close to a Native American, you know, to really get this information. Um, because in education, like US education, we're taught about from like a pre 1900 context. So 
people don't realize there's Native Americans around until they're in college. Um, so that was something that I was doing. And then I ended up in public art. Um, as soon as I graduated, there was an opportunity here in the Twin Cities um, for the public art project at Bidet Makaska. And it just so happened that it was honoring Chasta, who is my uh, great, great, great grandfather. Um, and it was really uh, an incredible opportunity to be able to not only go into this professional component as an artist, but also learn more about my ancestors and basically coming home to Minnesota. That was like one of the biggest things that came out of that is I ended up moving here to the Twin Cities um, after that project. How have uh, you either sought opportunities or how have they, how have they made themselves available to you? Well, my very first opportunity was exhibiting at All My Relations Arts Gallery in Minneapolis. And I was still finishing my last semester and you know, I had been putting out um, applications and applying for exhibitions and you get a lot of no's, you know. So when you're first starting out, there's a lot of rejection. Um, and so when I was accepted into the third installment of On Fertile Ground at All My Relations, I remember like literally jumping up and down like, oh, my God, this is so exciting. Um, and I came into town for the opening. I drove nine hours from Michigan where I was living at the time. And um, they invited me back to be on a panel. And it kind of just started this wave of exhibitions that I participated in. Um, and then I moved right into that into uh, the public art at Bidet Makaska. I had applied alone and got teamed up with Mona Smith and Sandy Spieler. So that was wonderful to be able to connect with them. I mean, Sandy is just, you know, she's been part of in Heart of the Beast for 25 plus years, you know, so she just knew everybody. And I, I stayed with her when I was in town installing my work and she took me around to meet lots and lots of people that, you know, it was just that I can now look back on this relationship development that was happening. Um, I was... I had met Setu Jones um, when I was interning in Grand Rapids, Michigan at the UICA. And when I came here to Minnesota, we just have continued a friendship. He's been a mentor on a project and he has actually been uh, pretty instrumental in providing, naming me for opportunities that are there. So there's been two, uh, two projects I've been part of that, are directly because Setu Jones had recommended me as an artist that this organization should consider. And then they reach out to me and I get connected to the piece. And then it's just, so it's really important to have, you know, advocates and allies and friendships and networks that will speak your name and in, in a room of opportunity. And I, I've been blessed to have Setu as my mentor. So uh, yeah, and that's something that I, I'm able to offer as well. So I do the same thing, you know, cause I know how important that is for artist development is, have you looked at this artist? You know, you know somebody and you recommend them for something and, and then see what they can accomplish. That is just wonderful to see what these artists accomplish like when they're given an opportunity. What would you want to say to the 18 year old that's listening to this conversation? 
my son is almost 18. <laughs> what would I say to him? Um, to just go for it, you know, like there's art is such an incredible profession to be in. It's so fun, so engaging. You get to meet people from all walks of life and, you know, it's sharing so much intimate parts of who you are that offers this connection with other people. I'm doing this work um, with uh, Pangeo World Theater and Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. It's at the corner of Lake Street and Minnehaha, and it's a community-engaged installation. And so I have lots of the public that are basically making this art. And there's people that are coming and including their writings and they say this is so great to be able to be part of this like this is so healing this is so helpful like thank you for doing this um and then to me it's like no thank you for contributing because your participation your involvement is what's making this work what it is and that's really uh god it's so much a part of just our human experience for people to be able to uh share um their strength, their mottos, their advice of what gets them through difficult times. And, and I think that's something that as artists, we get to be part of. It's just amazing to connect with other strangers, you know, through art. Um, that's always been my, my most enjoyable part of of being an artist and you know it's it's hard work there's a lot of rejection i think that's something that 18 year olds would need to know um but to just keep at it because we can all exist in one shape or form in this field and so it's wonderful to see all the different types of artists we have um and doing different types of work and and all of us are contributing you know to this cause of of the art that we invest in so yeah hmm. where uh where can uh people connect with your artwork and uh, find you online if 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 that's what they can do i have a website um angela um i'm not very good on social media i have an instagram page but i don't really put much on it i think that's a special skill um I need to get better at that, but, uh, yeah. So social media, my, my website, um, email, you know, I, I'm really, I'm really available to people. Like I really enjoy being, being there for, you know, young artists or, um, people that are wanting to connect. Um, you know, people can email me. I think my email's on the website. I'll put a link to your website in the show okay. notes so people can access that. Well, Angela, this is a lot of fun. Thank you so much for your time in doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is really great. It's fun. I, I really enjoy your, your program and the interviews you've had so far. So it's nice to be included. And yeah, thanks for having me today. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Angela again for her time and sharing her story with us. It's really great to be able to um, 
connect with artists who are really focusing on preservation of our languages. Um, in this case, it just happened to be she's focusing on the Dakota language, the language that is um, the, the language in which I come from. Um, but it's, it's always encouraging to listening to so many of these other artists on this series and in my, in my journey uh, who are intentional on language. I alluded to this during the interview, um, but, uh, you know, coming across young people, uh, especially when I'm speaking at universities and in groups, um, when young people are able to speak the language with confidence and with an expertise that I don't carry, um, is actually very encouraging for me. I, I don't feel, in a sense, uh, insecure because I don't know my language, because me not knowing the language is part of the Native American indigenous experience, the historical trauma that's been passed down um, through the generations. And because of that trauma, a consequence of that is that the individuals from my generation aren't able to speak the language as fluently as those from before them and those after. And I think the young ones who are able to speak the language is a continuation in that story. And so uh, I'm very always encouraged and uh, hopeful and delighted when I hear young people speaking the language, even though I may not be able to understand everything that they're saying. And one thing, uh, again, I, I bring him up because he was mentioned in this, is uh, my father. He had always said, language is law. Language is law. And the, the Dakota language, from where I come from again, um, so much of our morals and the way we should act is conducted through the way we speak. And it's only the way Dakota language works is you can't translate it word for word from English. It, 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 the, the language doesn't work that way. And so it really only is, is um, it's impressed upon uh, through the way it's spoken and the way it's next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find us on Canva. That's C-A-N-A-A Creativity. I'm a Native American artist on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, across social media, and at the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, past videos, and these podcasts. If you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview, please look us up on Facebook and message me. I'd really love to hear from you. All right, that's it. You take care, and we will see you next week. This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.